You're listening to the Gen Zen Broadcasting System. You're listening to 40 Something Podcast, Valley in the Vid. Now, here are your hosts, Silicon Steve Valley and the Vig. 40 Something Podcast, we are back. Gen Zen in the house. And thank you guys for coming back. We have Ray Pearson, author of the great new hilarious novel called God's Cruel Joke. And we went on with him for quite a while. This is part two. And he just got finished talking about Facebook and kind of how Facebook has impacted our lives. And Vig brings up a really good point. This takes us on for probably another 40 minutes or so. It's going to be a fun listen, so please check it out. Again, Ray Pearson, God's Cruel Joke, hilarious book. And you can get that on Amazon, and we'll leave some links on our social media. So thanks a lot, guys, for listening to 40-something podcast. This is Silicon Steve Valley, and we go right now to the Vig. Have you ever heard of the dopamine study with Facebook? No, I haven't actually. So there was a study done uh, with Facebook that tied the the like button and basically the notification, the red notification uh, that you get, they tied it with dopamine levels in the human brain. And they saw that anytime somebody liked somebody's post, it would actually create a boost in the dopamine. So you would go and check back and you would say, oh, I got some more red notifications. Oh, so-and-so liked my thing. Oh, so-and-so liked my post. So-and-so liked my post. Oh, I got a like from that. And and then they would start breaking it down on some of your, that person's a real favorite of mine. I'm actually really trying to become better friends with that person. And they liked my post. And these different types of things would set your dopamine levels up and down, up and down, up and down. You You know what else does that? Cigarettes. Cigarettes does. Chocolate does marijuana does okay so then they started tying this like button in with the raising of dopamine levels and they started realizing oh my gosh we got a hot potato here this is going to be an average so let's start pushing in these clickbait these little advertisements in there within the thing so like every time they go back they started realizing that people were going back on facebook to check their notifications and see their feed and see the advertisements in their feed 30 40 50 60 times a day and it's still happening to this day. And they realized that like it was a, a change in brain chemistry, that the like button actually triggers a, a, uh, a change in brain activities. And it's really lethal. It's lethal because they started hiring some of the people from Big Tobacco into, their, uh, in, into the company to just keep spurring this on and making it more and more toxic for everybody. So there's really something you could go out and and research a little bit more. Research the dopamine study with Facebook and uh, drop us a line here at valleyvig08 at gmail.com on the 40 Somethings podcast. We got Ray Pearson here. And uh, God's Cruel Joke is the book that uh, he is the author of. And he's joined us on the 40 Somethings podcast today. And uh, yeah, we're just rapping poetic here now at this point. This is going to be a long form episode, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying this, man. This is right up my alley. And um, to get back to that, you know, you know, Facebook for a lot of people has become a drug. You are, I mean, that, that is like, it, it should be something that's completely mind blowing to me, but obviously you see people who are addicted to it and who, yeah, they, they, they get stuck in that clickbait and that phone is constantly notifying of them. Somebody gives you a like, 
boom, notification, check Facebook, you know, and, you know, thinking about it, it, it doesn't surprise me that that raises dopamine levels and, and uh, that, you know, it, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because, uh, you know, it also speaks to us as human beings in terms of, one, how we want to be perceived. I mean, we're, we're a culture obsessed with the celebrity. Um, and I don't think people really understand what it means to be a celebrity. I mean, the more well-known you are, the more your name is out there, the more you have a target on your back. And while you sit there and might be getting those likes, at the same time, you might put up something that's inflammatory and it's going to bring back a lot of things that you're not going to like. Sure. And that could also be a little bit devastating in terms of how you perceive yourself or how you, you, know, you perceive what you are putting up there or what you believe. And you'll have people that will come back at you as well. Um, and sometimes it doesn't matter how nice you are about it. I mean, listen, you, you can ask Steve that there's sometimes I've, I put a Facebook post where I'm trying to be reasonable, where I'm trying to, to, to write something and trying to either clarify something somebody put up. And they come back in anger simply because they don't want to hear it because it's an opposing viewpoint. And now, you know, in, in ways that that where they were expecting to get some positive attention, now they've gotten negative attention and they react to it poorly. I mean, it, it's uh, I mean, for me, I, I think the more educated you are. Um, the more you learn about society, the, the more you, you understand people, I think those things become less and less important. Um, celebrity doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me because I see what celebrities deal with. Um, I actually interned at Saturday Night Live uh, for a year uh, back when I was uh, 21. And man, being a celebrity can be a pain in the ass. Everybody wants to know you. Everybody wants your autograph. Everybody wants to harass you, sure. you know, and then there are people that will hate you simply for being you, um, simply out of envy or jealousy. And, you know, that's insane to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know why you would ever do that. I mean, obviously, for, for me, um, I will respect people's work and respect people's art, but I don't want to know about Brad Pitt's personal life. I don't want to know about Angelina Jolie's kids. It doesn't interest me. I'm sure you feel the same way. What, what I want to see is the work that they put up on the screen. I do, but I, there's there's so many people out there that don't. That's why the Instagram yeah. is so huge, and that's why the, that's why it is the way it is, because people really do want to know. They they constantly want to be like, what's that person's doing? What 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 is that dress that she's wearing? Where, where did she go? You know, or he, he you know, the, why the Kardashians are so big? I, I've been so over the Kardashians. I've been over them for like at least a decade now. Uh, I never uh, even saw an episode to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pick either one of them. I could not pick any of them out of a lineup. I honestly. Well, I I, I know who the, Kim Kardashian is and. I think I know I could identify Chloe. She uh Kim is single now. 
Yeah, her and uh, Kanye didn't work out. That that's shocking. That's, but that's again, so shocking. that that shows appeal. I mean, really, those it's their personal lives. Why why are you so obsessed with their personal lives? I mean, Kim Kardashian, in terms of cultural art, what is she actually contributing? The sex t- uh, sex video with Ray J. That that I mean, what did that, that that took no effort. It takes no creativity. It it takes no education. Nothing to do that. I mean, it's just base human instinct and the fact that she's beautiful and she put it out there. It's not that good and, either. <laughs> I say truth. I haven't seen it. I don't understand that. That being the obsession with her is uh, it's it's absolutely crazy to me. It really is. And it's something I really don't. I mean, for the most part, reality TV does not interest me. Um, Being a writer, I much always prefer to uh, to watch creative based programming um, that is, uh, you know, based on imagination. Um, Whereas reality TV seems to, to cater to the most base instincts in people. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it doesn't have much of an appeal to me. Uh, you know, I, I watched Survivor once and I couldn't get through more than 10 minutes of Big Brother. That bored me to tears. And, it, but for some reason, I mean, Big Brother, I guess, is, is what people think uh, is a means for them to have some measure of popularity. Um, but life isn't a popularity contest and maybe our, uh, our cultural priorities in this country are poorly aligned. Maybe we're, we're looking in the wrong direction. I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's, that's a big problem with what's going on and with social media, Instagram is that people think that life is a popularity contest. It really is. Why would yeah. life, life wasn't a popularity contest? Why do we have uh, social media influencers making 50 grand a year by just going around and posting little things to influence and like endorse a product or be like, Oh, I'm in Denver this weekend doing this and check it out. This is like the new snooze eatery that, uh, you know, and they get like a paid hour, they get a paid benefit for that. And they actually get paid a salary to be, to basically post on social media and basically be popular. Uh, we were kind of talking about, and I, I think all three of us have kind of realized something that if you ever saw Bo Burnham's second last comedy special, I should say, he basically has this really weird lull in the show where he's just saying that basically you should, if you can live your life without an audience, you should do it. And it's something that social media has really made a custom that everybody now always has to be on stage and everybody now always has to show you the new toy or the new thing. I'm dying to show people, you know, Hey, look, I can play piano now and I can play keyboards now, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm trying not to subscribe to look at me kind of vibe. Cause I was only a kid for eight years and anyone that knows me knows that's kind of my vibe. So I'm trying to steer away from that. So it's interesting, though, but Facebook lets you be whatever. You can have your moment to shine in any moment. But I've noticed about Facebook, it gets real cluttery. And now people, and I saw a girl begging, how come I'm not getting the same likes I used to get? Why? And it shouldn't matter. 
you know, I, 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 I'm not surprised that that was, I, I'm surprised that that was an actual post, but I'm not surprised. And I, honestly, I was thinking that way too. And that was like on my way out. Cause I was like, man, I'm wrapping my head around. Why, why don't I get this engagement that other people are doing? Why, why am I not winning? Like these guys are always winning. Everybody just seems to always be winning on social media. Like, look at me, here I am, blah, blah, blah. I'm in the best buy. Look, I look good. And this is my cool girlfriend. That's my cool job and my cool car. And I'm going off the Red Rocks tonight. How many times you've seen a post like that? I've done posts like that, but you know, it yep. actually just starts to turn toxic really when it's everybody's Absolutely. doing that. And I don't know how it was this past year. I hear it was really bad, but I just cut, cut loose from it. You know, I just had to. And uh, I kind of you feel know, like people at, at first were like, Oh, okay. Why don't you go stand over in the corner, Vic? You, you can't be like other kids. You can't be like, a, you can't be like the rest of us. I guess you just can't handle it. You know, so why don't you go stand in the corner there? You know, I felt like that. And now everybody's like, dude, that was so awesome what you did, man. And, you know, like, yeah, it's like, I'm not trying to, like, but like, honestly, I wish I could have it. I wish I could have nice things like that. But go on. You, you know, th those things aren't important, man. I, I think, you know, when people who, um, who, who try to, reach externally for answers in their lives will they'll, they'll always fall flat in their face if it's the acquisition of material possession nothing's ever going to be enough they're always going to need something new to show off um i always felt that evolving oneself their mind their who they are as a person uh is far more fulfilling i think that's more the path to happiness um, finding contentment in your life. I'm also a Taoist. Um, Lao Tzu had a huge influence on me. Huge. Um, I pulled you that read out Tao Te Ching? Pulled that out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like in in quarantine here. You know, I'm starting to run like that. I, so I pulled that out. I actually was into that when I was an undergraduate, and I pulled it back out because you know you can really find that oneness that you're looking for, especially yeah. now when we're like in four wall syndrome. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> it's so funny talking to you today here on the podcast. I felt like my East Coast accent is definitely coming back out. Let's <laughs> start, start talking to like nothing wrong guys. with that. Yeah, it's like, uh, I bet you I'll go walk down the street, everybody be like, whoa, man, where's the Jersey guy? Where did you come from? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm a huge fan of, of that, of Taoism. Like, I recently lost my father, so going back I'm to- I'm sorry to hear that. It's, it's, it's okay, you know, it's, uh, it's we're just working through it. It's working through the the the, the, it's the the progression of life, really, you know, and I, that's why I've, yeah. I've dealt with that. But uh, the Taoism really came in key these last couple of weeks i pulled it back out and, and uh it, it could really give you that oneness uh you know and th to think that that was written so many years ago when there wasn't all this going on you know it's like man what a time that must have been really so well the crazy thing was it was written for an audience of one he wrote it because he couldn't actually teach the guy in person you know he wrote it for a guard on the great wall of china who asked him to teach him about Taoism. And he's like, well, I can't stay here. I got to move on, but I'll write you, you know, a little something. So you have something to cling on to. And here we are 2,600 years later, and it's still the greatest self-help book ever written. And I think, um, you know, it's funny, obviously, you know, with the influence it had on you, I remember I read it on a Friday morning. It took me about an hour and a half. And from the moment I picked it up to the moment I put that book down, I was a different person. 
it changed my entire perspective on life. It really did. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it definitely, it is a better path towards happiness because, you know, it, again, in terms of constantly seeking either uh, material possession for happiness, and that, that becomes like a drug too. You know, in, ter in terms of, the, you know, people constantly acquiring money, buying cars, buying bigger houses, buying this. And that. Listen, it's nice to have nice things. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but there has to be a balance in your life. And if that's what you're constantly striving for, just to show off a new car, show off a boat, show off this or that, you're always going to be looking for the next thing. When does it stop for you? When, 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 when does... When's it actually going to make you happy? You're only creating moments of temporary happiness. Sure. And, you know, that that's, uh, and I, I think that's a problem we have in America is we, we have, we have a, a materially driven, driven culture. And, you know, it, it's a little bit sad because it does make people feel inadequate when they can't obtain those things. And not everybody can. You know, not everybody's capable of elevating themselves to high levels of society. I mean, everything's on a spectrum. By definition, you're, everything, the, the world balances itself out. And half the people in this country are not going to really be, have the mental capability to truly elevate themselves to a high level. You know, they, they they just don't have it. And, and it's a shame to say so. You never want to diminish somebody's uh, intelligence or whatever. And, and there could be a numerous factors when you're talking about this. But we have to accept the fact that, listen, I can't be a computer engineer. I'm not capable of doing it. That's not my thing. I, I'm not a math person. I, there, there are certain things. I'm, I'm never going to be a good basketball player. I'm five foot eight. You know, I, I'm never going to be able to, to do certain things. I accept those things and work within the parameters that God gave me. And I understand, it, and, and, I'm, and I'm fine with not, listen, I, I, I'm never going to be a one percenter. I'm okay with that. It doesn't really matter to me. It's to, to, to sit there and, and just aspire to those things, um, you know, and, and to want those things, really can lead you down to a, a, a path of just, it can lead to depression a lot of times where people, again, you know, when we've been talking about feeling inadequate and it's like, you know, we, we sit there, we try to tell ourselves, we tell our kids, oh, you're special, this and that, blah, blah. I'm kind of of the Nietzsche frame of mind where you're only special if you do something special. You know, you 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 have to accomplish something in order to truly be special. And it's okay to herald special people. It's okay to, to hold those people on a pedestal and say, hey, you know, this guy created, Elon Musk, you know, wonderful industrialist. I have the utmost respect for Elon Musk, what he's trying to do in terms of innovation, uh, you know, how everything is about being creative. You know, it, it, it's, I admire been like that you know steve jobs even though he's a bit of a jerk as a human being they all kind he, of but he was an innovator the cell phone is the greatest invention uh the last probably 100 years you know I, I name something more important than the smartphone in this society yeah i definitely say like elon musk is probably the one of the most influential industrialists since like andrew carnegie uh, you know, since then, and, and we are entering yeah. the uh, fourth industrial revolution where 
you know, the, this digital transformation, we're running an age where, you know, we're going to, the internet and, and these things that are coming with it and, and data, data in general, or just what's going to explode and like, be like how the railroad system was back in the 1800s, how electricity was in the late uh, 1800s. And then, you know, how the automobile, and, and just even going back to the steam engine was really when, when it was started, the first industrial revolution. But I, I definitely feel that, uh, he could probably shut up sometimes a little more, uh, Musk, uh, you know, especially he can move markets. Uh, but, uh, I definitely, we're, we're definitely on the brink of a, uh, a digital transformation that's going to take us, you know, on the other side of this pandemic. And I hopefully make us a lot more, uh, make make the quality of life a lot better. But like, like you said, I think this, this, uh, division, this, uh, division of wealth is just huge. And it was just, it created, uh, even more of a split with the with the pandemic, and uh, you know, hopefully that gets better. I, I don't think throwing fourteen hundred dollars checks at it is going to to do it, but at least uh, maybe yeah. it could spur that along. But um, I think we might have broke the bank with this latest one. Uh, we'll we'll see what what happens, but hopefully if it kickstarts everything and we start having a huge uh, job creation and the economy really comes back and it, and we can track it back to to this the COVID relief bill, well. And maybe we have something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you hope so. Yeah. Um, you hope it's a little bit of a boost for the economy more than anything. You know, it, it's this country needs infrastructure projects. Um, we And, you know, and honestly, what you need is a rewrite of the tax code to uh, level the playing field. Um, and we have to start understanding that if we don't start putting a ceiling on wealth, you know, every empire crumbles from within because of corruption, and that corruption comes from concentrated wealth. And if you can limit that concentrated wealth, you're going to limit that mass corruption, and you're going to put your nation or empire in less peril by doing that. The enemy really is within, and that enemy is derived from human nature because it is the want to have more and more. And and obviously we we have a chemical reaction to when we get more. Yeah. And how do you fight that? Yeah, absolutely. You know it's funny, and and not just as the material stuff in terms of possessions, but also the material reactions on social media. It is it a well that will run dry. It's going to run dry. You're eventually you're going to stop getting the likes. You're going to stop getting the heart signs. Or you're going to stop getting your home girl from work saying, "Go get it, girl. You're so beautiful." Eventually, they're going to stop. And what are you going to be left with then? Yeah, yeah. I think it already has for a number of people. This this last year, where we've all just been. You know, and then I, I think that's what kind of spurred it on when, you know, the reopening happened and people were just like, boom, out. And then we had the rising cases and the rising deaths because people were just like, no, I have to live my life. I've heard that. I heard that from so many people. I have to live my life. You know, I have to go out and do what it is that I do. And it makes me great. You know, like, even though everything is shut down, like we're in a we're in a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that it ended for a lot of people this last year. And you and people, there were probably a, several meltdowns on social media or outside of social media that, that led, that led back to what you just stated to say, really. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And being back to the book, I wanted to, to, once again, we're talking to Ray Pearson, 
The book is God's Cruel Joke. There you go. We'll have a link for it for you guys. But interestingly enough, Ray Pearson doesn't exist, and you're pretty open about that in the book, which I thought was an interesting take. What was the point of that? I, I remember that happened. Now that we're talking about Ray Pearson, you kind of come out and say, this is, a, this is a fictional character, and I know why you did it, but what was the point of kind of breaking the fourth wall of the book? Um. You know, well, it's it's on the back. If you know, most of the time they have the author description. Um, I ended up putting a um, a picture of a place that I love. It's uh, Madeira Island, uh, Portugal, uh, off the coast of North Africa. And what I wrote there was, "There is nothing you need to know about Ray Pearson. Someone made him up, so he doesn't exist." And again, that was to separate my personal and professional life from um from the book uh you know it, it feels like it kind of sucks you have to hide because you don't want uh your professional life to discover something like this and obviously you read the material uh like if you want give me a reaction to the first chapter that you read you know what's interesting and and it's cool we're going to talk about this my first reaction was this is a little raunchy for today's society. And my first reaction, it actually, some of it even made me feel uncomfortable, even though, as we talked about later in the book, my character, which is based off of the things I said, said some unscrupulous things. You know, it, to me, it really, it makes me kind of ashamed that there was that kind of attitude towards certain things, even though there was something that was hilarious. And what I'll tell you what the pros, we talk about your pros and there is this, you know, Tom Waits. And I know you, you mentioned your, the people you love before, but there's like this Tom Waits and even an Allen Ginsberg vibe too. You're talking about some raunchy subjects, but you're throwing this intelligence into kind of some Neanderthal, pursuits is what i would say in the first chapter <laughs> you know yeah, what I that's mean? a great way to put it <laughs> the timing um, on that, the end of the whole thing is great i love it <laughs> the you know it's um it's about college kids and let's face it uh you know college kids are often young and dumb we're ignorant we don't they don't understand what they're doing um a lot of times the severity of what they do um and as the book goes on, uh, obviously that first chapter, it, it's it's actually meant to come off as misogynistic in ways. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's meant to be a little bit mean. But as the book goes on and the character develops, um, you start to see that he starts to understand that's wrong, that what he did was wrong. And, and again, everything's about, you know, when you write a, a, a novel, you write a story. One of the, the biggest things, the most important things is that your characters change. And if that change is realistic, if that change hits a personal nerve with your audience, um, you, you know, you're, you're going to have the, the effect that you're looking to have. So obviously part of his change is the recognition that what ha the things that happened early in the book are things that are, are are not right? That that morally, um, there there is something wrong with the what they do. 
you know, so, you, you know, you, you have to give him the book a chance. You, you have to read on in order to understand how his attitude changes, especially how his attitude towards women and how it evolves over the course of that year. So, you know, it's um, and, and I get why there, there are going to be people turned off. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Before I had this published, I had a couple of women read it to make sure that they could stomach it and that it wasn't that terrible. And uh, one of them, uh, she really liked it. And that was an encouraging uh, aspect that, that also helped lead me to publish the book. But at the other, that same rate, you know, she, she's, uh, she's somebody who can see different perspectives. Uh, she understood what I was trying to get at uh, in the long-term version of the book. And, um, you know, it, but I, I got to tell you, like, if I didn't have her blessing on it, I probably wouldn't have gone forward with it. You know, so I did get um, a, a, a women's input. I had, there are a couple of women who who read parts of the book. She was the only one uh, pre-publishing that read the entire thing, and she liked it. And it was again something that was very encouraging that she was able to understand where I was coming from and appreciated how the characters evolved. Oh, you know what's interesting too, and I was just thinking about this. The character, the main character, and which is Hunter, um, or one of them, one of the two, there is a coming of age, and you can kind of relate it to a lot of things that's happening in society today. There are people who who are acknowledging things, the Me Too movement. There are now more white people acknowledging the things that are happening in Black America with particularly what happened in the last year. So it's very similar because I'll tell you, and also it might've helped too. Your friend knows that you're, you know, you're a pretty sweet human being. You're one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So you, you knew <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, you, you knew it wasn't coming from a place of malice, but there is that. So if you're looking for something to kind of really relate to even what the show is about, is trying to get to that plane from, say, our Neanderthal ways, which I probably continued the Neanderthal ways a lot longer than either of you. The Neanderthal ways to uh, the Enlightenment ways, where we're both kind of uh, both of uh, me, me, Vig, Vig, and I, and now, and of course, Ray here, we're trying to get to that place. And this book kind of does that, and for for, all, for a lot of the characters. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny for him to actually, you know, and again, I don't want to give away anything in the end, but he actually dives headfirst into being that Neanderthal in order to break free of it. Um, but again, the, the important thing, too, is him trying to gain courage. I mean, another aspect of it, like my generation, your generation. You know, if you're a child in the 80s and 90s, we lived through relative peace. You, you had the winding down of the Cold War. Yay, America won, everything like that. Like, life overall was good, you know, especially during the Clinton years. You know, we didn't have, you know, you, know, you look back at the 60s and the Vietnam War and how, you know— it, it's a special, you know, especially its effect on literature and music and how those people wrote incredible music that was born out of all the horrible things that were going on with our country. And we didn't have those things. And our generations were, were softened up, essentially. 
Um, so you actually, you know, it, it's almost like you you had to to seek out uh, a toughening, you know, in a way, you know, to, to, to make something to to give you thicker skin, and, and you know, so the, and, and again, the point of the book is he is latching on the protagonist is latching onto the antagonist to toughen up, to gain some courage because his life has been too easy. He was born into a family that was upper middle class. Um, you know, he, he had never known struggle and this was the only way that was going to give him an ability to basically have the courage to go down the career path that he was seeking. Yeah, it's really awesome. And it's a funny book. It really is. Like I said, there is some, there is an acknowledgement of the, and I, don't, I keep on saying Neanderthal, there is an acknowledgement of where this character is. I mean, there is definitely the acknowledgement, this is ridiculous that we're doing this. It's ridiculous that we are, you know, processing all of this in our lives. We, and I understand this particularly now, but for some reason it worked for us. And you go through the thought process of every character and the thought process of why they got into these jams. And then there's it's just every single chapter you go through that's something different. And it is really a funny read. So God's Cruel Joke by Ray Pearson. And I just want to thank you for coming on. And oh, no problem, guys. Please, thank you for having me. Yeah, we got to. You know, this has yeah. been great. Yeah, we'll, we'll do some. We're going to do another long form one. We're going to have Ray on again. So, uh, I would love that, man. I actually had a lot of fun with this. You guys are great. You know, um, and and the the, the topics have been uh, things that hit hit home and, and are near and dear to my heart. And uh, you know, you, you guys definitely have some great perspectives on it too. And you know, like that dopamine study. Like honestly, I'm totally gonna look into that now. I, I, I'm so interested in seeing that, and I'm I'm a little angry at myself that I haven't discovered that beforehand, you know. And oh. and so yeah. it it's um you know things like that or it, it's it's such a so impactful to society, you know. And um, you know, you guys are really getting to the core of some uh, really important things, you know. Not not this not sitting on the superficial. Which is, you know, superficial things are usually the most appealing things to people. And I'm glad that you guys aren't going, sitting there and settling in for that, you know. So I think that's very cool. Do appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. And I, I had another friend who's an author and uh, Daniel Hooper. And he said that he doesn't want to build a following based on things that are superficial. He doesn't yeah. want to build a following and you don't, you don't want to build anything that you want to keep in your life. That's superficial. You don't want to build friendships that are superficial. I want to hang out with that kid because he's got the mushrooms and the Coke, or I want to hang out with that kid because he get and get it. He, he's cool with the girls or I want to hang, you know, because, and oftentimes that was part of the relationship within the book, which is ironically uh, bringing it back. But thanks again, Ray Vig, what do you got? Hey, so, I mean, uh, look forward to doing this again with Ray and uh, also doing some more long form where we break down some of the issues out there uh, that are going on. Because, uh, you know, like Ray said, we're, we're, we're trying to do get away from the superficialness and, and have, have some perspective, the 40-somethings perspective uh, that could hopefully rain on to the Generation Z, to the 
the baby boomers uh, and and, uh, and and our our zennial population here that we kind of represent. Uh, I think we went through some things the other day, uh, TJ, where we were talking about Justine Bateman. She was a zennial that uh, can be found on Clubhouse a lot. So because we were kind of investigating, uh, doing some Clubhouse gigs uh, coming up, and uh, we we see Justine Bateman on there a lot. So there, there's a there's a throwback for you. That's family ties. She was Mallory, all right, and uh, pretty 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 cool girl on uh, on on Clubhouse these days, running the show. I had a huge crush on her when I was growing up. So I'm I all about how, how lethargic she was. She was just always just like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, she was like, oh, so much smarter than everybody else. And she used to put down the Alex, the Michael J. Fox character all the time, you know, kind of like deflate him a little bit with just being the older, more lethargic sister. Uh, yeah, she's on Clubhouse these days, breaking it down. She was breaking down South by Southwest, the virtual version of it. Uh, uh, just till yesterday and uh and uh, just a typical zennial right there for you you know that, that's us how about you uh right did you were you into mallory or were you more more into Alyssa milano who was your thing you know it, it's um trying to think back i mean uh i had watched that show a bit i i know like i don't remember a lot of it i remember that uh, Michael J. Fox was like the lone right winger in the family, and right. that's what caused the tension right. between him and the family. That was a major part of you know part of the show. Um, you know, so I, I can't say I remember that much. I remember who Justine Bateman is, um, but I definitely want to check her out on Clubhouse now. That that is definitely uh, that definitely interests me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tell you the truth, I. In terms of uh, what I watch, I did watch Who's the Boss. I think we were all Lisa Milano fans as kids. You know, I mean, who didn't like her in the 80s when you were in, uh, you know, a teenager or preteen? You know? Yeah, I was more to Mallory, particularly when she got a little bit older and started doing stuff for made for TV movies. And there's one she was gorgeous and real sexy. And I just really had a crush on her since then. And what movie she- was that? Oh, I forget. I think she was with the guy who was did MacGyver. And I was supposed to I actually brought this up with Vig yesterday in a meeting. And yeah, I don't know, but she's really she's like, I am a bad girl, Jack. I forget what she was saying, but it's something that had been in, in my uh, spank bank when I was younger, for sure. <laughs> this, this was a Justine Bateman uh... made for TV movie, Justine Bateman. Yeah, made for TV movie. We could probably pull it up. It was, I bl- and I'm almost 100% positive, it was the lead for MacGyver. MacGyver. It was the guy who was the lead for MacGyver. Who was MacGyver, I guess you would say, not the lead for MacGyver. So, but she was really cute. But she's a very interesting and very talented lady. She kind of stepped away from acting for the most part. She does a couple things, but she's done a lot of stuff. Very, very philanthropic. Full on rapists, tripic, full on rapists. I don't know. A little harking back to Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but she's a big time philanthropist and uh really cool lady, and she's definitely vibing with us. She's definitely right in her a little older than us, but she's there. So that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Once again, Ray Pearson, the that, author. Uh, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Ray, the author of God's Cruel Joke, included in the link wherever you are seeing this or listening. And we just want to thank you guys so very much. Another guest. Check him out. We will see you guys later on. 
and please like us on follow us on spotify check us out on all social media platforms and of course hit us up with that email what's that email vig valley vig 08 at gmail.com we check it we do we do and foot <laughs> pictures are not discouraged <laughs> i forgot you had a percentage that's hilarious <laughs> it's like as sure as the day is long my friend 